0: Hey Conjurers, I'm Steph and I'm Sham. If you were murdered and the police were struggling to catch your killer, would you come back as a ghost to help? Is it even possible to solve your own murder from the grave? Some say that that is exactly what Teresita Bassa did. Teresita Basa was born in 1929 in the Philippines. The only child of a successful lawyer and his wife, Teresita was a member of the highest class of Philippine society and enjoyed a privileged life of traveling the world. Her friends and family described her as quiet, modest, and sincerely generous. Teresita's greatest passion was music. She graduated from Assumption College in Manila, Philippines, a Roman Catholic school exclusively for girls. In the 60s, she moved to America and received a master's in music from Indiana University. But Teresita wanted to help people, so she started studying inhalation therapy. She became a respiratory therapist at Edgewater Hospital in Chicago, Illinois, and was living her best life. In the 1970s, a woman in her mid-40s, never married, and living alone in her swanky apartment was still a target to be gossiped about. Terracita was incredibly dedicated to her job. She loved her coworkers and her patients, and she felt she had found her calling in life. She spent what little free time she had giving piano lessons in her community and had even started writing a book.
1: Okay, she seems like a woman who knows exactly what she wants and how to get it. I'm all for her independence and determination. Yes, queen.
0: <laughs> I know, right? She was ahead <laughs> of her time. Good for her.
1: Yes, that's some boss moves.
0: On February 21st, 1977, neighbors called the fire department to apartment 15B to investigate smoke billowing out from under the door. They found her door locked when they arrived and had to break it open. Working to put out the fire, the firefighters focused on the source of the flames coming from a mattress in the middle of the floor. What else they found shocked them. Under the mattress was a naked woman lying on her back with her knees spread and a butcher knife sticking out of her chest. The fire had burnt most of her hair and had badly singed the right side of her face. The state of her body initially suggested to police that she had been sexually assaulted, but the autopsy came back that she had not been raped.
1: Thank the goddesses she wasn't raped. But why was she naked and why were her knees spread? That's an awkward position to be in for a victim that was simply murdered.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe he intended to rape her, but things went wrong. Maybe. Did
1: they know who could have placed her in that weird position?
0: The only real clue the police found in her apartment was a memo written in her date book that said, Get theater tickets for A.S. Phone records show that she received two phone calls the night that she died. One around 7 p.m. from a friend to talk about selling a pair of tickets for an upcoming event, and the second around 7.30 from a friend and co-worker named Ruth. Teresita and Ruth chatted for almost half an hour, during which she mentioned that she had a male guest coming over, but never told Ruth his name.
1: Honestly, while dating, I made a habit of sharing my location with a friend or parents and took a picture of their license plate if I were going somewhere with them. I also made sure that they picked me up from my parents' house versus my own home because my dad didn't want them knowing where I lived. People are crazy out
0: here. (laughs) That's solid advice. When I was a young single woman dating, I was not smart about it. I would give men my address so they could pick me up for our date, not tell anyone who I was going with, and then after the date, we would often go walk down by the river. No one would have ever found me. Girl,
1: <laughs> how are you here right now? Okay,
0: back to the case. <laughs> this isn't about me right now. <laughs> the police chased down every lead but had no suspects. After five months, the case went cold, and detectives had to just hope a new lead would fall into their lap. And that is exactly what they got. One day, with hope of solving this case fading, lead detectives Joe Stachula and Lee Eplin were notified by the switchboard that someone was asking to speak to them about the BASA case. Finally, a lead had come in. Yes, we love a good lead. The detectives met with Jose Chua and his wife, Remy. The couple was native to the Philippines as well, and Remy, also a respiratory therapist at the same hospital, had worked closely with Teresita. Jose was a respected doctor at a different hospital in the city and seemed to hesitate to tell his story to the police. The story he told was almost unbelievable. Jose told police that a few weeks after the murder his wife started acting strange and claimed to have visions and dreams where Teresita would appear to her and beg her to go to the police and tell them what had happened to her. One night she went into a kind of trance where she seemed to speak in another voice entirely. She spoke in a Philippine language called Tagalog and told Jose she was Teresita Basa. Wait,
1: what? Okay, so this is not our typical lead. She's serving me full possession vibes right now.
0: How crazy would that be? Wild. The voice pleaded with him to go to the police and tell them that her killer was Alan Showery, an orderly that worked at the hospital with her and Remy. When Remy woke up from this trance, she claimed to have no memory of what happened, Jose was rattled and decided not to go to the police. When the voice possessed Remy for a second time, it asked why he didn't go to the police. He told her he had no evidence against Shaori and that the police would never believe him. The voice told Jose that Shaori had been invited to the apartment to fix a broken TV and after killing Teresita, he had taken her jewelry and set the apartment on fire. It also claimed that Shari had given the stolen jewelry to his girlfriend. The jewelry was bought in France by Teresita's father as a gift for her mother. The voice described the jewelry and gave Jose names and phone numbers of Teresita's family members that could identify it as hers. Talk about details. It sounds almost too good to be true.
1: The detectives didn't know if they could trust this bizarre tip, but they had nothing else and were desperate. They started looking at Alan Shari and found that he lived close to Teresita and had a long criminal record including two rapes both occurring in the victim's apartment. Co-workers told detectives that days before her death, Teresita had generously tipped Alan for helping her with some errands knowing he was having some financial troubles. They confirmed that Alan had in fact been planning to go to Teresita's apartment that night to repair her TV. They had no real evidence aside from the word of a ghost, so they moved forward with caution. They went to Alan's apartment and casually asked if he would be willing to come to the station with them. They told him that they thought he might be able to help with the case of his murdered coworker. His girlfriend Yanka stayed behind at the apartment and he went with the detectives. He actually sounds like a promising suspect, right? Alan told detectives he did go to Teresita's apartment that night to repair her TV, but he didn't have the right tools, so he went home and got caught up fixing an electrical problem of his own. The detectives didn't have any proof, but they had a gut feeling that he was lying. They decided to keep Shari at the station and go back to his apartment to talk to his girlfriend alone. They're up front with Yanka, and told her the story Alan had told them about that night. She told them that she knew nothing about any electrical problems, and that Alan didn't know anything about fixing electrical problems anyways. They asked if she had been given any jewelry lately, and she showed them a pendant and a ring that he had given her as a late Christmas present. She agreed to let Teresita's family look at the jewelry, and went with the detectives to meet with the people the voice had identified through Remy. Teresita's family confirmed that the jewelry Alan had given Yanka was their family heirlooms.
0: I can't imagine what Yanko was feeling, but I'm glad she wasn't willing to lie for him. I would feel utterly disgusted knowing that I was wearing the jewelry of a woman he had murdered. Agreed.
1: And confronted with this evidence, Shari confessed to the murder. He told detectives that what he had told them about not having the right tools and leaving was true. But after he left the apartment, he decided to rob her and went back. When he returned, he said she happily let him back in. But when she turned around to lock the door, he grabbed her from behind and attacked her. He stabbed her with a knife from her own kitchen and ransacked her house for cash and jewelry. He claimed that he removed her clothes to make it look like a sexual crime to throw off the police, but then placed her bedroom mattress over her body and set
0: it on fire, locking the door as he left. He has a history of rape. It's hard to believe he removed her clothing only to try and throw off police. I
1: mean, he's lied about everything else, so at this point, I don't believe anything he says. Right. When this story broke in the media, the investigators on this case became the butts of squad room jokes. Paperclips would fly out of nowhere and land on their desk, and they would find their mailboxes stuffed with notes to call people who had been dead for years.
0: That's a nice way to treat your colleagues that just solved a woman's murder.
1: Well, some people are just assholes. (laughs) (laughs) Despite his confession, Alan Showery pled not guilty, claiming his confession had been coerced. His trial started on January 21st of 1979, with the defense team arguing that the entire arrest was illegal because a faked trance by Miss Chua was not enough probable cause. His defense attorney stated in court, "Never to my knowledge has a man been arrested because of a supernatural vision." Detective Joe acknowledged that the Chua story was the only lead that they had when they questioned Shari. But they had rang Shari's doorbell without drawing guns, and he voluntarily went to the police station without asking whether he was under arrest.
0: I mean, were they supposed to just ignore the only lead that they had?
1: It was worth checking out,
0: and the jewelry being
1: there should have been enough evidence to raise some concern.
0: It's definitely a weird way to find a suspect, but they had other evidence. The
1: judge denied the motion, agreeing that whether the police believe the voices or not, they had to check it out. The prosecution didn't even call the Chua's during the trial. They weren't going to cross-examine the voice of Teresita, so they relied only on the evidence gathered by the initial supernatural tip. Prosecution called 13 other witnesses that were able to provide support for the accusations. Even with the evidence, witnesses, and the original confession, the jury wasn't sold. The trial ended in a hung jury. A second trial was scheduled and Shari's attorneys were planning a new strategy. They were planning to argue that the testimony from a ghost is inadmissible, and therefore Alan Shari can't face his accuser. It was a good defense, but Shari didn't want to take any more chances. Before his second trial date arrived, he changed his plea to guilty.
0: He was so close to getting off. That sounds like a guilty conscience to me.
1: I agree. Maybe it all got to him, or maybe Teresita made one more visit. (laughs) Anyways, in February of 1979, Judge Barbero sentenced Alan Showery to 14 years in prison for murder, robbery, and arson. He was paroled in 1983 after serving less than five years of his sentence.
0: He only served five years for robbing and murdering a kind and innocent woman? That's disgusting. It is.
1: (laughs) Something we should remember is Remy and Alan weren't strangers. They both worked in the same department with Teresita at Edgewater Hospital. Alan and Remy didn't get along, and Remy even suspected Alan had complained about her quality of work to supervisors at the hospital. Some people think that Rumi might have overheard Alan talking about killing Teresita and stealing her jewelry, and that is how she knew all that valuable information that she and her husband gave to the police.
0: What no one could figure out, though, was how she could have known the names and phone numbers of Teresita's specific family members that could identify that jewelry. As well as if it was all an act, why wait five months before coming forward? Not to mention why pretend a ghost was speaking through you in the first place. Wouldn't it be easier to go to the police and say you overheard a man at work talking about killing your friend? Why go through the hassle of trying to convince the police to believe you had been possessed?
1: After it was all over, the Chua's gave their version of the event to a writer friend named Carol McCardo, who wrote a book called A Voice from the Grave. They then went on to live a perfectly normal life. Remy reportedly never had any other psychic experiences. They don't seem to have had any gain from lying, and she doesn't appear to be a psychic median at any other point in her life. Maybe it really is as simple as her friend choosing her when she needed her the most after death.
0: Maybe it's just wishful thinking on my part, but I believe them. I think a strong, determined woman like Teresita would be just the type to come back from the dead to solve her own murder.
1: Agreed. I definitely believe in paranormal, and I believe some people are capable of being receptive to spirits and passing along messages that need to be heard. So what's the deal with Alan Showery now?
0: Well, author Ray Johnson tried to track down Alan Showery in 2016. It seems after he was released, he moved to California with a mysterious woman who had been attending his trial. In the 90s, he returned to Chicago for a short time and eventually ended up in New York City, where he completely fell off the grid in 2004. There is no record of Alan Showery after that. It's as if he mysteriously disappeared.
1: Yeah, well, I heard the hospital where they had all worked was involved in a huge scandal in the late 90s. It was forced to close in 1999 when a huge fraud operation was uncovered and the hospital was blacklisted from federal and state medical programs. Corruption had uprooted itself in Edgewater staff. The vice president of the hospital had created a system of kickbacks for doctors and staff complicit with committing fraud against Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance companies. For years, the doctors sent hospital employees into the Chicago community to find potential patients. Recruiters instructed the potential patients how to fake symptoms in order to require services. They even performed unnecessary surgeries and amputations on drug addicts and homeless people. In return, if the patients survived, they were offered money, food, cigarettes, and other amenities for their cooperation. The building was abandoned after the scandal was discovered, leaving medical equipment and even patient medical records behind. The hospital is rumored to be haunted and is a popular destination for ghost tours. Wow, that's messed up. I would
0: love to take that ghost to her, though.
1: Oh, I'd be down. Maybe we'll even catch a glimpse of Teresita while we're there.
0: <laughs> hey, you know what? This case reminds me a lot of the old Greenbrier ghost story. For a long time, it was the only known case in the entire world where a ghost helped convict her own murderer. Until Teresita's case, that is. In 1897, 23-year-old Zona Hester Shue was found dead at the bottom of her stairs in her West Virginia home. Before the local doctor could get there, her husband of three months, Edward Shue, who everyone called Trout, had moved her body upstairs to their bed, washed her, and prepared her body for burial, which apparently was actually a normal custom back then. Well, the doctor examined her body quickly, but her husband seemed so upset and was crying while cradling her head. So trying not to be intrusive, the doctor left without examining her head or neck. Her death was ruled as natural by cause of fainting due to pregnancy, whatever that means.
1: I've heard of that case. Zona's mother was convinced that it wasn't an accident and prayed constantly that her daughter would somehow come back to tell her side of what happened, or at least say goodbye. After several nights of constant prayer, Mary says her daughter's ghost appeared to her and explained that Trout, Zona's husband, came home that night and looked at the feast his wife had prepared for dinner. She served apple butter, a spread of preserves, and fresh bread. But the fact that she hadn't prepared any meat threw Trout into a fit of rage. He attacked her and placed a hand on each side of her head. With a quick motion, he broke her neck. Zona's ghost revealed it wasn't the first time her husband hit her. Trout had a terrible temper, and she couldn't reason with him. Most of the community laughed at Mary's claims, but one doctor was curious and exhumed Zona's body. Sure enough, Zona's corpse had finger-shaped bruises on her neck. Her windpipe was crushed,
0: and her neck had been broken, just as the ghost had said. Based on that alone, Trout Shu was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison.
1: You know what? Any ghost that calls out any form of domestic violence sounds pretty badass to me, and I am so here for it. <laughs> right?
0: We will never know for sure if Teresita really came back after death to solve her own murder. But either way, she can rest in peace now that justice has been served.
1: Not every crime can be solved by a ghost of the victim. Most crimes need the community's help to solve. For that, there's Crime Stoppers. Crime Stoppers is entirely anonymous, and the process of calling Crime Stoppers is simple. If you have knowledge of a crime, call 1-877-903-STOP. Which puts you in contact with the Crime Stoppers Command Center. An operator will answer the phone and take down the information you wish to provide. They will never ask for your name, number, address, or any other identifying information. You can also place a tip on the website from the Tip Submit button on the main page, or you can download the P3 Tips
0: app. To view images, information, and sources from this case, visit our website at crimeandconjure.com. Research and writing for this episode was done by Stefan Sham. Editing of this episode by Denver Fortner Productions with music by Jordan Elena. Be sure to check out our Instagram at Crime and Conjure Podcast for the question of the week. Steph, what is our Conjure Tip of the Week? This week we have Smoky Quartz, which is highly sought after due to its soft and subtle ability to remove blockages of the mind and heart. And it's particularly good at helping one achieve deep levels of meditation and focus. Smoky Quartz is one of the best stones to work with when you're reaching out to ghosts that are stuck on our plane. Specifically, this stone is useful when attempting to find a spirit that wants to talk to you. And because of that, it's a great tool to bring when investigating paranormal activity.
1: So conjurers, take this crystal with you the next time you visit Edgewater Hospital.
0: Until Until next next time, time, stay stay vigilant, vigilant conjurers.